Take your Bible, if you would, and join me in Hebrews chapter 11, a passage of scripture that we often refer to as the hall of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, and and before we jump into Hebrews chapter 11, let's back up just a little bit and let's notice some things from potentially a different view. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 39, notice what he says at the close of chapter 10 as a segue into chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 39 says, but we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but of them that believe. Them that believe. Now you might wanna draw a circle around that word in your Bible and then potentially put another circle around the word faith in chapter 11, verse number one. They're the same word. When he says, we are those of them that have faith to the saving of a soul, we would say, well, that's consistent with we know what we know about salvation. <clears throat> For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. If you know Jesus Christ personally, have trusted and believed in him, his finished work at Calvary, then you are those that have begun by faith. Now, let's proceed to our text and start to understand and explore what is it then that this faith does? What reasonable expectation should I have in my Christian walk regarding the faith that is to line my pathway? Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one says, now faith. That is our belief in the goodness of God, his sovereign plan, the fact that he knows me personally. Now faith is the what? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The Greek word for substance is hypostasis. Hypostasis, it's actually a compound word, stasis. That means that's this idea of some standing, something that is firm. And then hupo, that is under. So really what we have is this standing underneath. He's saying this is foundational. Faith is the foundation. It is that which is undergirding our Christian walk. It becomes the proof, the evidence of the, those things that are not yet seen. Some people say faith is like the title deed to something that you may not have taken possession of yet, but you have the title deed in hand. It might be that you have been given the title deed to some property. You've never yet placed your feet on that property, but you have the title deed. You know this belongs to you, although you've not yet taken full possession of the same. When we think about Hebrews chapter 11, maybe you are the kind of person that on an airplane likes to sit next to the window and you get that 30,000 foot view. So let's for a few moments take that 30,000 foot view of Hebrews chapter 11 and consider some of the miracles that are listed in Hebrews 11 with these people who, who line the halls of faith. For lack of a better term, the first type of miracle that we're going to talk about would be what we're going to refer to as the legendary miracles of God. 
the legendary miracles of God. This is what we would call the extraordinary miracles. It's oftentimes what we think of when we use the term, it's a miracle of God. Again, these are those supernatural interventions of God, often where God suspends the laws of nature and does something that we consider legendary. Now, to be clear, there are basically three periods of miracles mentioned historically throughout Scripture. Sometimes we think, well, they just happen all the time throughout all the pages of Scripture, but quite honestly, no. Three primary times where God worked these legendary supernatural miracles. The first time was during the days of Moses. And of course, during the days of Moses, you'd had things like the plagues that, that, that came in and ushered in the release of the Hebrew children. And then you have the parting of the Red Sea. You have manna that miraculously um, um, appeared. You have water from the rock and on and on. We have these supernatural miracles during the days of Moses. And then we have another period where miracles seem to be certainly more frequent than we've seen at other times, and that is during the days of Elijah and Elisha. During the times when these prophets were here, we saw this this supernatural interference of the natural laws. We we see the the Jordan that's parted, the widow's oil that multiplied, the Shunammite son that was raised from the dead, Naaman cleansed of his leprosy, an iron axe head floats, a Syrian army is blinded, and on and on we go with this working of God in ways that interrupts the natural laws of mankind. So we have the the time of Moses and we have the, the days of Elijah and Elisha, And then, of course, we have the time of Jesus and his disciples. Again, these legendary miracles that are taking place. During Jesus' day, the the blind and the deaf were healed. Food was multiplied. The tempests were stilled. We see that there, there were those that couldn't walk, who the lame that were raised. Jesus walks on water. He turns water into wine. He brought the dead back to life again. Over and over and over again, we see these miracles that are of legendary status. Throughout Hebrews chapter 11, we see in verse number five, Enoch is taken up and didn't die. Legendary. Noah was spared from the flood that covered the earth. He's miraculously sealed up in the ark. In verse 11, Sarah conceived and had a child when her body was clearly incapable of such. Verse number 29, Moses leads the people through the Red Sea. It parts supernaturally. The walls of Jericho in verse 30 fall down flat. Verse 35, the dead are raised to life. These are the miracles of legendary proportion. We should know, because this is not the normal pattern of God, we shouldn't continually expect to see them. In fact, while we would readily acknowledge God can work any of those miracles at any time he chooses, and I would not say that he cannot, we should also note that Jesus himself appears to look unfavorably on those who have to continually have some miraculous sign. He says himself in John 4, 48, then said Jesus unto them, except ye see signs and wonders, ye will not believe. While these are legendary and 
And while there may be those in this room or those that are watching who'd say, I have seen the legendary working of God, it's not his typical manner. I would submit to you today that he is working. Does he need to work in that way to show himself strong? Absolutely not. Can he work in that way? And the answer, of course, is absolutely. Let's go a little bit further in our 30,000 foot view of Hebrews chapter 11 and not only see that, that it is noted here, there are the legendary miracles of God. Let's also take note and forgive the, the, the way we've described this, but for lack of a better uh, title, let's look at what we'll call the ordinary miracles of God. Now, I know there is no such thing as an ordinary miracle, but but again, to help us understand what is it that we're talking about, not those legendary dead brought back from, uh, uh, them brought from death to life, but let's talk about those more ordinary aspects. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse number 32, and what shall I say, what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of. And here we have what we might consider a lot of miracles, but in some ordinary sense. Time would fail to tell me, tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Again, forgive the title because there's nothing ordinary about the miracles of God, but this is the invisible hand of God that is working, although many times in not so obvious ways. A couple ordinary miracles we could consider even in Hebrews chapter 11. In verse number 31, Rahab is mentioned. Well, Rahab is spared from death. Of course, the walls of Jericho came crashing down, but whose house built into the wall stays standing? Now, we would say it was legendary that those walls came crashing down. But if someone's standing and looking at one house that still remains, they might say, wow, she got lucky. They might say, whoa, I can't believe how fortunate she is. All the rest of the walls came down except for hers. But you and I would readily say, no, that's the miracle working hand of God. Now, let me ask this question. How many of you have ever seen some event unfold, possibly something like this? Have you ever seen a person in a car accident that walked away from the accident and looking at the vehicles and looking what took place, you concluded that was nothing short of a miracle. Now what God didn't do is God didn't levitate the vehicle so that there was no accident. What God did is in some way, shape or form, he miraculously protected the person and they walked away from an accident. And we say something like that was a miracle. In verse number 32 in our, in our passage, Gideon's given strength and victory over the Midianites in ways that we look at as miraculous, although there was no recorded angel that came and fought on their behalf. But, but when we look at the circumstances, when we look at the setting, we say that was the miracle working hand of God. I, I suspect that there would be many in here that have looked at circumstances and details of your life. And you have said, 
that is a miracle. This was years ago, and I was with a group of teenagers on a teen retreat when I was a youth pastor. We had just shortly, uh, just few days prior to that teen retreat, they had said goodbye to another teenager who the Lord had called home due to cancer. Her name was Becca. And I can remember we are walking out late at night finishing a game. It's a, it's a wonderfully clear night, but no moon in the sky, just the stars. So as we're walking, we're talking, someone brought up Becca and said, sure wish Becca could be here. And as we're walking and talking, we're looking up at the stars and someone said, I wonder if she's looking down at us right now. At that very moment, there was a star that shot across the sky. I mean, the words hadn't come out of their mouth. I wonder if she's looking down at us right now. A star across the sky. And we all audibly gasped. Well, was it coincidence? I'm not here to debate. Do saints that have gone on before see what's taking place here? Some believe that there is a great cloud of witnesses that are watching events unfold of biblical proportion. When they said, I wonder if she can see us right now in a, in a beautiful shooting star shoots across the sky, some might dare say that was a miracle. I don't know about the miracle working hand that you have seen of God in your life, but I would suspect that most in here say God has worked miracles in my life. They're what we are referring to today as the ordinary miracles of God. Certainly there are the legendary. There are what we refer to as the ordinary, but let's look at one other aspect that I believe is recorded and potentially often overlooked in Hebrews chapter 11. Again, for lack of a better title, we'll call these the contradictory miracles of God. The contradictory miracles of God. If you look down at verse number 35, and of course the, the verse divisions are not inspired, they're helpful, but they're, they're man-made. But let's look and see where God seems to make a division in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 35, the second half, where we start to read, and others, and others. And others were tortured not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings. Yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, they were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. When you start to look at the and others, you may get the sense that they, they could have been those that asked the question, Where's the miracle? To have those that wander about in sheepskin being despised, 
dejected. These are those that are delivered to the persecutors, the tormentors. Their bodies are literally sawn asunder. Where is their miracle? Couldn't have God have stopped the torture? Couldn't he have intervened? I believe that there is, in fact, a miracle that sometimes we call the contradictory miracle. And here I believe it's the miracle of faith which provides the strength to endure. Unwavering faith through the trial is actually the greater miracle. How God answers and works is his business. The faith to trust him is sometimes the miracle that is granted. Having faith in God is no guarantee of comfort, security, or safety in this world. Faith in God is confidence in a future where my gain is far greater than my loss. This passage won't be displayed on a screen, but if you have your Bibles, take your Bible and join me for a moment in Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12, we're going to read a rather lengthy passage of scripture, Acts chapter 12, and in just a moment we'll begin reading in verse number one. Acts chapter 12, verse number one, the setting is the early church has been birthed and is advancing, and we find that whenever the church is doing the work that God's called it to do, there are in fact many adversaries. Notice what the Bible records for us in Acts chapter 12, beginning in verse number one. Now about that time, Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. And he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him, intending after Easter to bring him forth to the people. Peter therefore was kept in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and the keepers before the door kept the prison. And behold, the angel of the Lord came upon him and a light shined in the prison and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise up quickly. And his chains fell off from his hands. And the angel said unto him, gird thyself, bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And he saith unto him, cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he went out and followed him. And wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. When they were past the first and second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which openeth to them of his own accord. And they went out and passed on through one street. And forthwith, the angel departed from him. If you want to talk about a legendary miracle, the Apostle Peter just experienced a legendary miracle. So he's kept, Herod keeps him now, seeing that these are some things that are pleasing the Jews. And so he takes, he takes Peter, he puts him in the inner prison. He's guarded by four quaternions of soldiers. There are two chains that bind him. There are guards sleeping on either side of Peter. And he is, by the way, let it be noted, fast asleep. 
Well, in the middle of the night, an angel appears and tries to wake up Peter. I don't know about you, but this guy must have been really hard to wake up. He's, he's sleeping in a prison, he's in chains, and, and he's got guards on either side. But Peter is fast asleep. So, hey, Peter, Peter, wake up. I mean, he doesn't wake up. And the Bible says they smote him. How many of you have to be smitten to wake up? There are a couple smitten folks in here okay so so you know he, he actually smites him on the side I think he kicks him or whatever you know he, he punches him on the side and Peter you know he's still kind of groggy but he says get up and put your sandals on so he puts the sandals on and the chains fall off him P- Peter come on now the guards are still sleeping come on let's go and the the iron gates that are guarding him the the prison cell opens now he's walking through all these different wards. He finally, the Bible mentions there's a, a fairly significant iron gate that's going to let him out of the jail area. And then the Bible says it just, it opens of its own accord. And Peter walks out and then the angel gets him to a, a safe place. I think the angel waited until Peter finally woke up. And, and finally he says, okay, I'm going now. And like, whoa. Did this really just happen? This is then when Peter goes to the church that had been praying for Peter. He knocks on the door and Rhoda comes to the door and ah, she can't believe that he's there and she doesn't let him in. She goes back and says, hey, Peter's standing out at the door. And they say, right, Rhoda. And um, well, go tell Peter that we're glad he's here, but we've got things to do. We're gonna pray. So they go back to praying, but Peter's standing at the door. Did Peter get a legendary miracle? Yes or no? Well, clearly, yes. Okay, what about James? Isn't it interesting that when you look at the passage of Scripture, James, James gets just a few words in verse number two, and he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, and then the narrative turns to the apostle Peter. Have you ever felt like, I must be James? Now, let me ask you an honest question. Did the church pray for James like they prayed for Peter, yes or no? This is speculation on our part. But as you speculate the church is praying, did the church pray for James like they prayed for Peter? My submission to you is yes. I think they prayed fervently for James James has been killed, Lord. Maybe there was an additional understanding of what may happen, but please know, I think they prayed for James just like they prayed for Peter. So where's the miracle for James? I believe that James knew that God himself is better better than what life can give you now and better than what death can take from you later. When you can have it all, Faith says that God is better. And when you lose it all, faith says that God is better. God is better than the miracle you may have been praying for. And when you have lost it all and found that God is still better, then you have found your miracle. Faith is completely in love with God. Faith loves God more than life. Faith loves God more than family. Faith loves God more than job or retirement plans or ministry or homes. This is the contradictory miracle of faith. If you look at Hebrews 11, verse number six, we read familiar passage of scripture that says, but without faith, it is impossible 
to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The problem often comes when we begin to define the reward for the rewarder. Now, I do believe that you can pray and pray earnestly about the miracle that you're praying for. Not only can you, you should pray. You're praying to a big God who does big things. However, when we get to the place where we are defining for God the miracle, God, this is what you have to do to work the miracle that I am praying for, we're taking a place that is reserved exclusively for God. Faith says, whether God handles me in a tender way or a trying way, I will trust in him. It is God himself that is the one who is supposed to be the reward, not what God can do. Do you remember Abram that had been promised this, this huge offspring, this, this, listen, look to the stars, count the sand on the seashore if you can. This is what your heritage is going to be. And so Abram begins to scratch his head and say, okay, God, if this is what you're going to do, where's the child? In Genesis 15:1, God had to or was seeking to readjust Abram's thought about what is the real reward. In Genesis 15:1, we read, after these things, the word of the Lord came unto Abram in a vision saying, fear not, Abram, I am thy shield. And notice this, and thy exceeding great reward. Abram, don't forget, I'm the reward. Abram kept saying, Lord, the reward has to be a child. The reward has to be the offspring. The reward has to be, look at the stars, count the, the sands on the seashore. God, that's the reward. And God says, no, 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 Abram. Remember, I'm your shield. I am the reward. Have you determined for God what the miracle of faith is for you? Or have you decided that the miracle is God? And what he chooses is his to decide. Faith says whether God handles me in a tender way or a trying way, I will trust in him. What we're not to do is interpret God in light of our circumstances. We should not interpret God in light of our circumstances, but interpret our circumstances in light of God. God, I have hard circumstances. It must mean you're a harsh God. No, 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 God, you are a good God. There is something in these circumstances that, that I'm going to have that says that you are enough. The goal of this church ministry should be to cultivate and spread such a deep and satisfying relationship with God that we rest in him alone. The apostle Paul said it this way, I know both. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Whether living or dying, whether comfortable or miserable, whether rich or poor, 
whether healthy or sick, respected or despised, accepted or rejected, our aim is to cultivate and spread the unshakable confidence that God is better than what life can give and God is better than what death can take. It is an unwavering faith in the goodness of God regardless of the miracle he has in store for us. In 1 John chapter 5, verse number 4, the Bible says, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet. He prophesied during difficult days without a group of people that would wonderfully respond. Yet in the book of Lamentations, we seem to get some insight that Jeremiah did know the difference between some reward and the rewarder. In Lamentations verse number, chapter 3, verse 24, Jeremiah said, The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. The word portion there, it means he's my share. He is my possession. The idea is he is what I get and anything else is of lesser importance. Faith is trusting that God is better than what this life can give you or what death can take from you. May we conclude today and say with the prophet Jeremiah, God, I will accept whatever miracle you choose to give me whether it's the legendary miracle of your supernatural intervention, the ordinary miracle of your providential working, or the contradictory miracle that brings faith to believe you, God, and that your grace will in fact sustain me, and that that is my miracle. Where's the miracle? The miracle is God.